Hello and welcome to episode 214 of Effect, the Bane of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And in today's show, we're going to be talking about the Bane of Dungeons and Dragons. Well, possibly anyway. So we um, we have a packed show, as we always do. And we always say we have a packed show, even if we don't really. Um, yeah. Like today. So, but the, the, the big the ticket item... Uh, the big ticket item for today's show is the interview that we uh, we are we are having we have had. So what, how are we presenting this? Are you presenting it that we've already had it at the, this point? I guess no, we, are. we haven't already. No, no, we're we're being really <laughs> honest here. So, so we have, I'm going to have to put out a little message to say that we're going to be a bit late with this episode on all the socials. Yeah, and the reason we're going to be a bit late is Dave. Well, because we haven't interviewed Andreas Lindstrom. Uh, from uh, Sweden Rolls and uh, Nordic Skolds now. Uh, as of yet, He's we're a very that, busy man. We're doing that on Tuesday, which is in two days' time, um, to talk all about uh, Windheim, as they pronounce it. Windheim. Windheim. No, well, it's pronounced... It Haim in, it's Haim. In so Swedish. I, so I, well, I watched the little video that they've got on the Kickstarter, and the voiceover oh. there was calling it Windheim. So I was quite surprised, because I, I was pronouncing it Windheim. But yeah, so they're mm. calling it Windheim, which is fine. That's entirely up to them. We can clarify that with Andreas. When so, we, uh, so, when so, we talk to him. so, yeah, they've got a Kickstarter out for Windheim and Dawn, uh, Dawn, Dawn of the Horn, Dawn of the Horn. <laughs> that sounds like, like me when I was Morning Glory seventeen, um, and Horn of the Dawn, which is uh, which is their uh, Dragonbane, Draco Octomona, um a supplement campaign, which is currently being kickstarted at the moment. So the big ticket item of the show is us talking to Andreas all about that, which will come up a bit later. But as Matthew said, we haven't actually recorded the interview yet, so we don't quite know what he's going to say. Um, but yeah, that would be great. Other than that, we've got a little bit of world of gaming news, as we always do. But that's that's kind of that's kind of what we're wrapping our arms around for this episode. And we're obviously in a bit of a rush because it's Sunday morning. I'm going to watch the World Cup. Come on, Lionesses. Let's let's win the World Cup, at least in one form or another. But yeah. Let's so, win a World Cup, please. We beat the Australians, however, so that's a rare occurrence. Anyway, and I was and I was very pleased about all the sour grapes that the Australians came out with afterwards. <laughs> I was, and, and actually, un, un, entirely undeserved, because during the game, if anybody watched it... Um, there were there was a period of play in the first half, about twenty minutes, where there were six blatant fouls, trips, tackles. One of them was by an English player who was blown up for it and was given a red card. Five of them were by Australians and they weren't even given as a foul. So sod off Australia. Um, if you think you're hard done by, tough shit. And David Warner can bloody shut up talking about the ball in the in the in the in the Ashes <laughs> Test because as if he's got a great platform to talk about dodgy goings on in cricket anyway i'll leave it there before i can really get and, on my, um, on my I, I, i'll just i'll just add tough shit to all australians except those australians that are patrons of the show with that we love yes i have full <laughs> commiserations uh yeah hey sporting uh, rivalry you know the aussies like putting it to us when they beat us and stuff so it's uh yeah I, you know, as have... they frequently do. Well, sadly, yeah, maybe that's why it was it was so so nice to see us beat them for once. But there we but, go. So this has been your it, sporting podcast. But, um, but if it hadn't have been for for bloody rain on one day at Old Trafford, we'd have 
got the ashes back as well. So that's, <laughs> anyway, but that's cricket, isn't it? So well, and also that's that's Britain for you. If we if we invent a game that can be fucked up by the weather, then it's our own stupid fault when we get <laughs> we get beaten by the weather. So anyway, yes. Anyway, so, um, well, back onto the well patrons. First of all, I did just briefly want to say we've got no new patrons this week, but I have ages ago I promised uh, that if you wanted to write in, if you weren't a top level patron who gets all the swag, and if you fancied one of our effect badges and one of our um, HMS Yamato uh, alien uh, style patches, then you should uh, write in and I will send you one. And I've sent one. So I just want to say to Andrew, uh, I'm not giving surnames because you know who you are, Henrik, and uh, to, uh, I'm just going through the mailing labels here, Philip, uh, you all asked for a badge and a patch and they are, as of yesterday, on their way to you. So uh, look for those in the post whenever they arrive. So if you're not a top-level patron, if you're a, a plebeian or a stationary and you want a badge or a patch, just drop us a line on Patreon and I will send you a badge or patch. Meanwhile, Dave, we, we do have our next patron reward uh, for top-level patrons. is is kind of bubbling away now, isn't it? We've commissioned something. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's a top secret. Yes. And this could be really cool and really exciting, or it could be really embarrassing. And it, yeah, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so it yeah. should be. It should be good fun. Uh, yeah, but I have to say, it's an idea that came out of our patrons, so we're giving them what they want. <laughs> and it's Sli- this... slightly with a twist. It has to be said. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and it's not us. Yeah, I was going to say, and it's not sexual at all. Because yeah. I don't think our patrons have actually asked for that, have they? So. <laughs> no, no, no. I and I think that would be a twist not, too far. Explicitly not asked for that, I suspect. Uh, I think they have probably pleaded with us never, never to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shall we change the subject, Dave, and get on to the world of gaming? Yes, let's do that. Um, so, what should we start with? So, modern versions. So, we spoke to. Um, Dave Whitworth and Tom uh, Moore a few weeks ago about Modern Versen, a uh, yeah, their book that is um, all about bringing Versen to the modern day, and that is finally out. So when we spoke to them, they had a couple of slight issues they had to iron out around some artwork, but that's all done now. So Modern Versen is out there, ready for you to buy. It's uh, on Drive Through RPG. So. Um, yeah, go out there and buy it and listen to the back show if uh, if you didn't hear that before. And um, yeah. yeah, good luck to them. Fingers crossed. Hope it does yeah. really well. And so that's available on RPG, and we will, of course, be putting a link in the show notes. <clears throat> yes. They sent it. I was about to buy a copy and then they sent us a copy, which was lovely of them. But hmm. I haven't yet had a chance to open it up and read it. So oh, okay. um, we'll, we'll look at that at a later stage, maybe when we do one of the... Um, uh, one of our uh, semi-irregular uh, workshop oh, roundups or review sessions. Them. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, and also uh, news of things that didn't happen when when they thought they might. Uh, our last interview was uh, with the oh god, I've forgotten his name, Chris Brown. Chris Brown, I think, creator <laughs> of um, of, uh, Slaughter of Slaughterville, and. Uh, he was so impressed by uh, being interviewed by me, Dave, that he um, that he cancelled his Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, that's um, uh, 
you know, that that says so much about about your interviewing style. It's like, okay, nah, I just won't bother anymore. <laughs> Scrap it, you know. But he cancelled it because uh, he realised it. You know, he, he's quite experienced in this, and actually, we talked in the interview a little bit, and I don't know whether he recognised the tone of my voice. That maybe I, I was thinking, he's not going to make it, is it? Um, yeah. And uh, uh, and I think he realised he wasn't going to make it, and so he's uh, rejigged it. Uh, or is in the process of rejigging it, getting it approved by Kickstarter. And I've heard the new campaign will start on the 22nd of this very month of August. And so we will put a link in the show notes to that as well, if you're still interested. Um, so, yeah, Coriolis Wake of the Icons is now finally in stores. So um, This has been a bloody epic, hasn't it? it? I has... mean, not not the epic scale of the campaign with three books but just the epic of getting Wake of the Icons out. I it's, don't know whether everybody who pre-ordered it has actually got their copies yet. I'm sure I saw some people saying I haven't seen anything. Um, I know a lot of our patrons have finally got it, but I don't know what went wrong with the distribution here. It did seem to take a very, very long time, didn't it? Um, mm. And, you know, and, and yeah, you know, <clears throat> yeah, my attitude to these things is it'll arrive when it arrives. And I'm mm. I'm not too worried, you know. As long as I get it, you know, eventually it's fine. But I think you know there are quite a lot of people had their noses put out of joint a little bit by the fact that you know their pre-orders weren't arriving on their doorsteps any earlier than they could have got it in the shops. So it's yeah, it's you know it's it's unfortunate. I don't have an insight into what went wrong and why there was such a problem with this particular product. No. Um, and it's you know it's generally unusual for free league to to have such big kind of delays. Um, mm. I, mean, ha- I mean, having said that, you know we are a bit behind with building better worlds, for example. But I mean they've they've come out and explained that the that, the, that there were issues there, and it was slightly exacerbated by the fact that they really wanted to get something out for Alien Day, you know, twenty sixth of August of April. Um, mm. And they went for that, what, even though announcement-wise, you mean precisely, and and offering mm. the pre-order um, with obviously the you know the promise that you get the PDF as soon as it's ready, and then with other things there was some illness and um, you know other delays, so it's taken a lot longer than they they anticipated to get get it um, get it where it needs to be. Now, obviously, I haven't pre-ordered this because, well, you know, you've written quite a lot of it, Dave, and therefore, you know. No, uh, uh, because I know uh, everything about it because of uh, uh, what's in there. Is the PDF out yet? I honestly don't know. No, it's not yet. No, so it's still mm. it's still going through the process. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't really have an insight into how long um, how long it's going oh, to take. Oh, but from a here. couple of weeks ago, you got a copy to notice any blatant errors, I've... and you noticed a big fuck off blatant error, like there wasn't a chapter in there. So there was. So that yeah, there was. I have seen a work in progress on the PDF, and it's pretty much there, with so mm-hmm. one or, one or two slight, you know, slight slight issues that need to be tidied up. But so that yeah, so lots of progress is being made. It looks fabulous. It looks absolutely brilliant. Um, so you know, we'll see uh, how long it's going to take from there. But say so I have no insight into um, cool. how that long that production process takes, how long it takes to get it then through Disney. So. Just fingers crossed, it'll come soon. But I think, you know, it, I wonder, and we've talked about this before, I think they are doing so much stuff 
you know they are mm. producing so much content on so many different lines with you know so many different partners and freelancers and and, and you know publishing and you know, printers and all the rest of it distributors that I guess this kind of problem becomes more likely um, mm. because they are still a small outfit. They are, you know, as they've said, they they're doing it because they love it. They enjoy it. They don't want to turn it into a big sort of industrial mechanized process that they then just end yes. up playing with, playing with spreadsheets and not playing with games. So, no, exactly. you know, so I think, you know, possibly wake of the icons is a, uh, you know, a, a, a symptom of their success somewhat. Hopefully um, it's a wake-up call. Did you see what I did there? I know, I know. Um, but again, so I think for, for, for many of us, you know, it's it's kind of less of an issue because, you know, they'll be happy when it arrives. But I know for some people that, you know, there's, there's a different kind of mental contract when they do a pre-order or they do a Kickstarter. And, mm. and for them, it's, yes, it's a Kickstarter, but there is a contract here and, and you know... Uh, we, I, you know, we expect the product at a, a reasonable clip. Um, yeah. But no. So it's well, great. I mean, the weird thing about that one particularly was I can't remember when I got my copy, but I got mine in February and then months and months passed. Um, so that was, I don't know what was going on with the distribution there. I mean, I'd, I'd chosen yeah. the simplest pre-order of just the book, but um, I don't know whether some element like uh, the maps was holding things up or something. It's quite possible, yeah, because I yeah. guess when you've got Kickstarters like that with lots and lots of elements to it and you're producing those from lots of different companies or factories. Yeah, it wasn't um, a Kickstarter, though. Remember, it was just a pre-order. Pre-order, yeah. Yeah. Although but, I guess, um, I mean, in pre-order, to, you know, the, the, the practicalities of producing the document once you've got the money or the, uh, mm. the product are probably very similar, I guess, from a yeah, Kickstarter yeah. to a pre-order. So that that in itself probably doesn't make too much difference because again in both you'd probably you know the 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 prevailing approach i think for most at least big companies that do kickstarters is to have most of the product done before you go to kickstarter and the same with the pre-order so Mm. you try and take out those 12 or 15 18 month lag times by having done actually a lot of the work on the assumption and very often the correct assumption that you're going to get your pre-order or your Kickstarter very heavily backed. So, yeah, you know, and I think there's, um, I think, I think us fans don't particularly help. You know, I wonder whether they announced uh, Wake of the Icons too early because we kept going on, when's Wake of the Icons coming out? When's <laughs> Possibly, Wake of the Icons yeah. coming out? So, and I know that um, Chaosium have been burned by this. I, I mean, they had a really terrible Kickstarter years ago that I think we've talked about on the show before that really sent them bust until they were rescued by a bunch of fans who now run everything on a more business-like uh, footing. But one of the things they never do is they never tell you when something's going to be out. It's out when it's out. Yeah. And people keep asking them, when's it coming out? When's it coming out? And they'll say, when it's ready. And I yeah. think that's probably uh, probably the thing to do. Anyway, talking of uh, Kickstarters... I am very excited. I've been I've been kind of not into Kickstarters for some time. Um, they haven't grabbed my attention, but but this one has. Yeah. And I wonder whether it's grabbed yours. It's Eat the Reich um, from uh, oh, what's the studio called? Rowan Rook and Rowan Rook and Deckard, Deckard yes. who did Spire and um, Heart, Heart and wonderful yeah. games like that. 
And uh, yeah, I, it took me about 30 seconds to say I'm backing this. Um, yeah, so it, it's not something that immediately grabbed me, I'll say. Um, it's a very niche kind of story. <laughs> niche of a niche of a niche, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so for those of you who don't, aren't aware of it, Eat the Reich is, uh, in, in one sentence, vampires killing Nazis or trying to drink Hitler's blood. Um, which is entirely laudable, you know, entirely laudable um, intention and uh, task. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, the artwork is very stylized. Um, I, I, I do like the way they've done their title for Eat the Reich. And Reich, the word, has got two fangs coming off the R and the H, and it looks really cool. So it does look great. We'll make a graphic designer of you yet, mate. Um, <laughs> It's unlikely I'm going to back it. It, it. It's a bit too niche, niche, niche for me. Um, so there's some interesting things about it that I like. One of the things I like about it is it's three adventures, I think, I'm remembering correctly, in a short campaign, and that's it. You want to play it again? You play those three adventures again. That's the story. The story is that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a big hit, whether they'll do something like, you know, make a heart to spire yeah. and do some other adventures. But it is a very limited time frame and a very limited stage. And that's what you're doing. You don't you don't even have the ability to build characters unless you reverse engineer the ones that they give you. Because it's quite a simple system, I think. So probably you're able to, but they're not going to give you any character creation stuff. They're giving you six characters. You take one of those characters, you play the campaign. Um, and I'm kind so, of intrigued by that. Is this is this this is going to be their take on Merc Boyer, effectively? Then, uh, well, it, Merc Boyer, you do you spend quite a lot of time making characters because you spend quite a lot of time dying. So, um, but then you uh, know, one of the kind of philosophies of Merc Boyer is you play through it and then you burn the book. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that philosophy, I guess, is, yeah. is part of the thing. I feel, and I, this isn't by any means a criticism, I think they nicked the idea. You, you get dropped into into Germany in tactical coffins because obviously you're a vampire. <laughs> and I think there is, um, that comes out of the Edom Papers, which was a supplement for the Dracula dossier by Pelgrane Press, where you can unearth plans to um, uh, for the, 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 the British intelligence had an idea about dropping dropping vampires or in into germany in something like that I, i've got to look it up now but it, when i read about it i thought mm, i'm sure i've heard about that idea before but if they've taken that tiny throwaway idea out of the dracula dossier and said we can make a whole role-playing game of this just <laughs> mix it up with inglorious bursters and um, yeah we're ready to go uh anyway so i'm excited by that that's my first kickstarter for a long time um but i might also be excited i'm going to set your man uh, Andreas a challenge to get me excited about Windheim too. Haim. Windheim. Windheim too. <laughs> I meant to yes. say that. Honestly, Gov. <sighs> no, absolutely. I think um uh it's um it does look lovely. I mean I I, I had a little look through the Kickstarter before we came on air and I watched the little video. It's got a very their little their little intro video has got a very strong Lord of the Rings feel to me, um, but it. Oh, we're back look, on Windhelm. 
Talking Windheim, yeah. Haim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Windheim, mate. Windheim. Let me correct you there. Uh, but it, yeah, it looks it looks great. Uh, they're doing very well. Um, at the point of recording, there's 10 days to go. So when this comes out, there'll be seven or eight days to go of the Kickstarter. They've already smashed their pledge five times, which is great. But obviously, if people are interested, go and have a look. Um, they have unlocked a number of stretch goals, including one where they've invited uh, a lot of excellent writers um, to 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 produce um, scenario seeds to do um, you know, a short 150 word seed uh, to go in the book. And there's a great mm. list of names here. I mean, you've got Anders Blix and Eric Grandstrom and. Uh, Kiki Herrenstam, uh, Magnus Theater, Krista Sunderland, Per Holmström. I mean, there's loads. I could read the whole list, but I won't. Mm. Um, and at the bottom, there's Dave Seamark. So uh, that was great. That uh, yeah, Anders. Well, Andreas actually invited both of us to contribute, um, but uh, with only. But the of... fee was so small. I I said I couldn't possibly do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I... I don't get out of bed for less than 400 quid, as we discussed in the last episode. So I, I let you do it. I mean, yeah. you know, it's good in that excellent list of writers to have somebody, you know, kind of second rate like you. <sighs> Thank you. I knew you'd get to say that. It's just, yeah, after all these years, it just gets boring now, mate, frankly. <laughs> no, no. The old jokes get funnier through repetition. You but know I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm certainly very honoured to have been asked, and it's great to be rubbing shoulders with, uh, with, with the, that, list of, that list of writers there. So, so that's great. So I haven't done it yet. I will do over the next couple of weeks. Um, but but, you, can, you can have that idea I mentioned to Anders if you want. I know, but it's really boring, so I'm not going to use that one. It's really unoriginal. I'll do something proper. Something, something original and, and good, but yeah. So that's that's looking really cool. Um, but yeah, I although again, having written fine. that idea, you will have recognised that idea from a, an adventure we did in Forbidden Lands. I very much recognise that idea from the adventure in the Forbidden Lands. I remember it very clearly. I'm pretty sure that that was a entirely procedurally ad invented adventure that I made up live mm. on the spot simply by rolling dice. But mm -hmm. part of me thinks. Or was that actually written? Is that the whole encounter? And then if you did do that, would you actually just be ripping off whoever wrote that? <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't gone back to look for it yet, but um, no. maybe I should. Just well, to, well that's, it, that's why Andrew is If you do return to, to that idea, it, then... then um, no, I'm not returning no. to that idea. No. Okay, so, cool. Um, but uh, yes, that, that, you know, I was, I was, I was chatting to, to, to Jenny yesterday about something or other and then we got around to music and saying that there's there's there can be no original music because every single chord or every single you know collection of notes has been done by somebody somewhere oh mate you haven't heard me play it there are chords <laughs> that no that no one wants to hear yeah I but that's not good that, yeah calling that music is possibly a bit of a stretch though isn't it <laughs> um you know question is there are there any original stories left to write yeah, I are there. That's a yeah, is the question. Is every story yes. being written now actually unoriginal in some form or another because somebody has already had that idea and done a story? There are literary um theories that say, you know, there are seven stories actually and we've used them all. Yeah. Um many times. And everything. Um and yeah, maybe, maybe. But there's different combinations of combinations and recombinations, I yeah. guess is the thing. And I guess the same um, with music as well. And and who who has heard 
every single bit of music and who has read every single story. So, uh, you know, yeah. not many. So coming across something that feels original to a listener or a reader is 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 perhaps the thing more than whether it is actually genuinely original. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of why I like, I like randomly generating adventures in Forbidden Lands because, mm. um, you know... You, Okay, yes, you then stitch them together with unoriginal stories, but events can happen in a way that I, as GM, haven't predicted, and therefore hopefully they come as a surprise to you as players too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sometimes there's really good pre-written adventures as well. I don't want to do down the pre-written adventures. Um, but, um, yeah. No, I think, I I think the, thing, the thing with Forbidden Land as a player, um, in your campaign anyway, is that it's, it's, not always, it's not always easy to tell when you're running a pre-written adventure site or whether you're doing something that you're you're creating on the on the moment that's good the only way we do know is because you say ha i haven't done any preparation so i'm creating this by rolling some dice (laughs) and so you kind of spoil it but actually the stories we've had as a result of that have been really good and solid Mm. they haven't been weird odd you know odd shaped stories that just don't hang together so they you know they've worked really well so it's testament to to how well the system works in Forbidden Lands for a GM who wants to be low prep, who wants during the scenario to, to create the scenario on the hoof, um, how effective that can be. And I think there's also something about having an experienced GM. I'm going to say something that sticks in my throat here because it's, it's, it's complimenting you. But um, having a GM who's able to take those results and string them together in a coherent story is probably an important part of that process as well. Yes. So, yes. So kind of well done. Well done, you, mate. Well done. I'm very well. Proud of you. Except I, my counter to that, although I will quite happily take that compliment. Um, <laughs> uh, my counter to that is almost anybody can do it if they've just got the confidence to yeah wing it. Yeah. Um, and I think particularly because you know because. <laughs> You know, the worst thing that can happen, and I'm guilty of this as well, is go, oh, God, I can't remember what goes on here. Hold on, let me look it up in the book. Whereas if you're inventing your own story and, you know, as soon as you have an idea, you just splurge it out on the table, um, you never get that little hiatus of uh, not wanting to get it wrong. And therefore, I think it flows like fun should. Yes, I Um, agree. And that's one of my sort of main criticisms. Criticism is the wrong word. One of the main reasons why I'm not so keen on running produced written pre-written mm. scenarios is that i can't hold the whole story in my head the whole time i will need to go back and check stuff and exactly opening the book to find out what some npc is up to in the middle of the scenario is a real as a real tension killer yeah and yeah. there's a thing that obviously what i'd like to do is just know enough and one of the my favorite campaigns for this is the Dracula dossier. I keep banging on about it, but this you is do. true. You, you, do. you look at you, you you look up a few key facts, but it doesn't actually have in depth. Um, you know, in depth. This happens, and then this happens, and this happens. It has a bunch of people. Uh, for each person, it has three different motivations. One, if you want them as an enemy. One, if you want them as a friend. One, if you want them as a sort of innocent victim or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so actually that is really good to improvise around and you don't need to know the whole story and you don't need to be worried about, Oh, well, if I say this thing about this person and then in book three, it turns out that they're actually, they've got the entirely opposite thing. You don't ever worry about that. You, 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 you just enjoy, 
I, I think that's a brilliant way of doing it. And and what I should do is have the confidence just to wing it, even when I've half read a, a pre-prepared adventure. Yeah. But the problem is I do stop, I, and I do stop because I think, oh, no, there's something really cool I liked in that book. I really like that. What was that cool thing? And then that's what makes me stop and um, read it. Yeah, yeah. So this is what we'll be doing with Windhaim, possibly, if we back it. And that is if Andreas can convince us to back it. And um, shall we... Uh, Shall we put him to the test now, Dave? <laughs> yes, let's put him to the test. Thank you. Our guest of honour is friend of the show, Andreas Lundstrom. Say hi, Andreas. Hi, Andreas. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. It's just, and, it's just um, it's, you, you set them up, Andreas knocks them down. You know, yeah. it's just too easy. Yeah. And and last time we had you on the show, we said Andreas Lundstrom of Sweden Rolls. Yes. And now there's some new words under under your name. Yeah, here. exactly. What is yeah. Nordic Skulls? Nordic Skulls is a newly formed forening. Um, we call it here. I don't know what the um, English translation would actually be. It, it's kind of a company, but it's based on you know people being a part of a community more than an actual company, like a cooperative. We'd probably call that here. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But perhaps not like quite. Sounds yeah, a lot yeah. like the Stockholm cartel to me. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised if they have a similar way of doing <laughs> doing their you know business side of the stuff. But a new publisher uh, set on yes, at least starting up doing uh, Dragonbane open game licensed third party products, starting cool. with a, a world setting and an epic campaign. And of course, that's why we're here now. And that's why we're streaming live. And that's why we've delayed our whole podcast so that we can catch this interview before the Kickstarter stops. Mm. Um, you've got a Kickstarter out. We'll, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But let's get back to basics here. Let's talk about Dragonbane mm. to begin with. Now, mm. Dragonbane is the English name for, for the first time ever published in english an old an old swedish game called drakkar ochdemona how how good was that drakkar ochdemona i think is probably closer demona uh, yeah you're uh, better i'm gonna me. say dave, dave was closer on that one drakkar oh, he does have a swedish wife go on i do have on. a swedish think... wife yeah so well, slightly... there you go <laughs> <laughs> um yes drakkar demona an old swedish rpg first published in 1982 actually with the first yeah. edition so when we ask swedish guests uh, on the show as you will be aware we normally start off with a question we're not going to ask this time which is about tell us about your life in gaming and mm -hmm. one of two things is the first thing they say which is i started off with mutant or i started off on drakkar octimurna <laughs> anyway you're getting there you're getting there <laughs> Especially the very slow um, pronunciation of the yeah, word. Yeah, that's yeah, just, that's a, yeah. That, what did Dave actually say? Uh, and yeah. and as far is, as it, it, I'm with, aware... Sorry, The trick with Drakkar is you need to... Uh, Drakkar? Yeah, exactly. Draw. Like you say, draw in, in, in English. Drakkar. That's much closer. Much better. Sorry. Draka. Please go And Ok? Ok? Ok. Och. Och, with Och. a bit of softening on there. Just, no, just okay. Just okay. Och. Just okay. Like, like the Scots say it as well, then. Yeah. Och. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Right. Salt everybody in Scotland as well as everyone in Sweden on the, in the first three minutes of our show. Excellent. Nicely done. Uh, I have, well, I I have taken up a new role this. in. I have taken up a new role in the Effect Podcast of a Chief HR Officer and uh, and Standards <laughs> Officer. So um, I think we should be uh, having words with Matthew after the show about his his performance. <laughs> anyway, right. Anyway. I look forward to that. Anyway, um, <laughs> now there's just been a bit of a bit of news happening in Sweden with Drakkar Oxymona. It mm. has been plastered all over the public transport system, on the backs yeah. of buses, on the sides of buses, on yeah. the underground. Massive. Whatever you call the underground in Stockholm. Mm. Or, I don't know, yeah. is it just in Stockholm or is it in other towns as well, like Gothenburg? I think uh, all the pictures I've seen was from Stockholm, at least, because we're the only ones who have uh, an underground. Oh, right. Well, that would... Yeah. yeah. So then, yeah. yeah and the buses would, looked like uh, Stockholm buses as well. I think it's, I think it's a right. Stockholm thing, yeah. And... Um, and the big Swedish SF bookshop, which I'm not going to try and say in Swedish, but it's it's like Forbidden Planet in in this country and other American comic shops you may choose. But it's a big comic shop and well, it's a big bookshop, and the windows were plastered with uh, with dragons, not just any old dragons, mm. but dragons from the cover of Drakkar Octomana. So mm. um, so this was a big cultural moment. It seemed to me, yeah, here yeah, in the UK, yeah, it's been in a lot of like a lot of newspaper articles and stuff like that. And they have a uh, a novel out for yeah, target group nine to twelve year olds. But I think m most of the buyers will be you know men of our age. <laughs> so there's there's a let's deal with the nostalgia nice. first. Then, are you mm -hmm. a mutant or a Draca Octomona person? I can't Rocket remember your answer. Sure. I, I, I don't even... The thing is that the first RPG I ever bought for myself was Mutant 2. But since that was an expansion, I bought it because I had some friends playing AD&D in my class, but I couldn't join because they were like, we already started. You wouldn't understand what we're doing, so you can't join us. <laughs> and these were my friends. Bear in mind. Nice, yeah. nice guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, nice guys, yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, my, maybe I'll buy one for myself. And I went to a toy shop, which was where they had all the RPGs back then. And I bought Mutant 2. And I looked through it and I thought, this looks so cool. I don't understand anything about it. <laughs> because it was just a supplement, you know, an expansion. Mm. So the core rules weren't in it, which I didn't understand. So I just had it in my in my closet for yeah years and years and years. Never played it. So the first time I ever played Mutant was Mutant Year Zero in like I don't know 2017 or something. Wow. Yeah, crikey. So Dr. Demone, I've been playing since '94. My first RPG and by far like I think I'm pretty sure that if I combine all the hours I played Dr. Demone, that will exceed the amount of time I spent playing all the other games combined. Right, yeah. for sure, without a doubt. So it's very much, is it, the Swedish d and I mean, it's not. I know it's not D&D. Mm. &D, it's more like, in mm. Anglo Anglophone terms, it's more like RuneQuest or specifically Magic World, which was a kind yeah, exactly, of... Um, yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, many Swedes think it's a translation of Dungeons and & Dragons and have mm. been for really? decades. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Many people think that it's uh, like, I don't know how often I come into a Facebook forum mm -hmm. and someone says like, oh, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons in Swedish. So where can I buy the Rocker Octomoner? Mm. <laughs> you know, before this new version was out. So you had to like first correct them and then direct them to whatever they wanted to play. 
Did D&D mm. &D ever I, get a, a Swedish translation? Yeah, uh, it, did. Yeah. it did. It did in, in the 80s. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It I have I have it over there somewhere in my RPG bookshelf. I, I, um, but it's, yeah, it's like the, you know, the the red, black and gold box set. I think that's mm. the version. You Is know? that the expert version? Yeah, exactly. Like, like basic the different ones. Like, yeah, the red yeah. stapled, uh, you know, soft back covers. Mm. Um with the, the, the fighter with a drawn sword and a dragon, like in the background, he's facing yeah. he back on yeah. towards the viewer. Yeah. That version was and, translated in the 80s. Right. So I, I give me, give me, I, I want to get a sense of, for a start, how many people play role playing games in Sweden, roughly, what sort of proportion of the population? Because I, mm. the number of people I've spoken to, and admittedly, mm. obviously, most of the Swedes I know are in the role-playing games industry, so it's probably not a good sample. But I do mm. hear anecdotes that, that suggest that playing tabletop role-playing games of any sort was more popular in Sweden as a proportion of the population than it was here in the UK. Um, you got any I'm gonna say, I can... I'm going to say without a doubt, Sweden is like per capita the biggest mm -hmm. RPG country in the world, but we're so small. We're only 10 million, mm. so, you know... In actual numbers, that doesn't you know come to much. But per capita, like if you like if you count publishers, if you count the mm -hmm. amount of players, if you count um, uh, yeah, basically anything, podcasts, like yeah, you, yeah. anything uh, <laughs> RPG related, TTRPG related, we will be the biggest one per capita without a doubt. Um, right, yeah. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard suggestions that like oh, back in the eighties. Every every you know school class had a had a Doctor Demoner or mutant group in it. That's not true. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. I knew a lot of classes where no one played role playing games. Uh, it was big. It was really really big. I've heard was it about, about it's outselling every other RPG except for Dungeons and Dragons back in the eighties. Even though it was only published in Swedish, I'm really not sure if we can say that. But it was maybe top mm. five at least for sure. Wasn't very much the same in Sweden as it was here back then. When if you wouldn't really admit that you were a role player unless oh, yeah, you were sure. pretty it sure was, that the person the you were last, talking to yeah, might it, be a role player too. Yeah, yeah, it was the last thing you said when you yeah. like went on a date. Like, so what are your hobbies? Like, <laughs> oh, you know, watching football and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, hanging out with my Pump, friends, pumping and, you know, iron. That was the last thing yeah. you said when you were on a date. Um, yeah, for sure. Or if you started a new class or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Of course, with some and, uh, some great people. Yeah. But but that still means that in that, okay, small population of, of Sweden, there must be a lot of people out there with a lot of love for Dracula Octimona with this new mm. release. I mean, it's yeah, not really sure. been out of print for terribly long, has it? Because uh, Riot Mines had yeah, had it had a, a, a while version. ago and mm. the and True Vang version. Yeah, a lot of the stores still have the two, 2016 mm. version because, I mean, it was kickstarted and it um, it um, failed to deliver what people expected. It's not a bad game, you know, it's 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 good enough. Uh, and, of course, it, many of the illustrations by Johan Egerkrans that are in this version comes from mm -hmm. that version. Yeah. So it, it was beautiful. Oh, really? You know, yeah, it was beautifully made. <sighs> and, uh, and, and the rules are, I mean... People, some people are complaining now about this version not really being done as uh, de Moner. You see, even I do it. Um, uh, but uh, but uh, even so, many people gave that version a lot of 
crap as well for not being uh, a reprint of the old mm. 80s version. Uh, but that one is actually a bit closer to the like original versions than, than this one is. So it's uh, right. I actually wrote a whole article about that in Phoenix, the gay magazine in Sweden. Mm. Uh, or we in Nordic Skulls did, where we like we did a historical overview, and then like our theme was how do you um, conserve the heritage of, of Drakkar de Moner? How does one you know respectfully uh, continue a legacy? Uh, mm. So for those who read Swedish and and like Phoenix or can get a hold of Phoenix, uh, I recommend that because it's really a, a good article in my opinion of you know. <laughs> like what? What do you need to think about when you're trying to, you know, conserve a legacy or like keep it going? Brilliant, brilliant. That's a that's a thing that any Swedish speakers will have to have to head to 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 read that and mm. and the rest of us. Will but have I, to have the, I have all the I have all the old boxes here. If you want to go through the, the, the let's version. have a look. Give, let's have a little a look at that. Comment. I can give a short yeah, comment. Yeah, yeah. First, of course, we have the original one from '82. This one was right. printed, if I don't remember wrong, I think it was printed in 5,000 copies. And it didn't sell very well, so they ended up throwing away into a container somewhere, like 1,000 or 2,000 copies. Insane. These are worth, oh. <laughs> you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of pounds today, mm. <laughs> or euros or dollars or whatever. There's a landfill uh, somewhere with... But then we have the big version that came out in 84, uh, which is... With Elric classic. on the cover, yes, Elric that's the one on that the I think we know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. There was another one uh, a year or two later, um, similar box, but I didn't bring all the box, just the, the major versions. Mm -hmm. uh, this was where, you know, the version that many people now consider Drocker de Moner. The first one, uh, not many people played that, and yeah. And then with the expert version, Anders Blix Still with Elric on the front there. Still Elric, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, Anders Blix was in, in, uh, in charge of that one, and he introduced a D20 because there was a percentile uh, dice yes, for yeah. the first versions. You know, yeah. so it being basically role-playing, uh, they went for percentile, but he felt that you know the D20 is so... Uh, you know, iconic due to Dungeons and Dragons, so we should have a D20 as well. So yeah. for me, uh, Drocker de Warner yeah. is D20, not percentile, because I, I came in later. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And is it D20 in the way that um, in basic role-playing, uh, Pendragon is D20, so it's still effectively using the percentiles, but yeah, divided by five. Yeah, just divided by five. Just divided by five. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then yeah. the 91 gotcha. version came uh, mm -hmm. back to the old cover with Elric back once to the again. Old, yeah. Yeah, this is the one I played the most. This one and Expert are the ones I played the most. Mm. Uh, this one I was the one I played when I started creating uh, Windheim, actually, like 20 years ago. Ah, right. Yeah. So, ah. so is, there, is, there, is there a schism in the Draco Octomorna community then between those who love the BRP? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, when, when, when Free League announced that they were going to do a, a, a re-release or a new release or a new edition, uh, of course, like one of the first question was like percentile or Dean 20, because some people are leaning towards this and that. Yeah. It's not a big schism. It's more of a preference thing. It's not a, it's not a huge. It's not uh, good. It's not. Yeah. It's not pitchforks at dawn kind of thing. With the same, ver uh, same rules as the 91 version. We have the Chronophia uh, version. Cool. As you see, the aesthetics change. Mm. Yeah. No more Elric. 
No, exactly. Unlike slightly elf through. quest, if you ask me, actually, isn't it? The old nineteen seventies and eighties. Yeah, comic. like a lot yeah. more like bulging muscles and mm -hmm. you yeah. know, yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, so this was more of a, a new setting than a new edition, in my view, because the rules are basically the same as 1991. And then uh, Right Minds took over with Trudvan. Right. This, right. This version. Very different look and feel to that one. Yeah, more John yeah. Bauer-ish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I love Trudvan as a setting. It's one of the best settings ever for Draco de Monde. Mm -hmm. and, and this game was great. I played it when it came around the millennial uh, shift, you know around there 2000 or something mm. um and i i loved it the problem with that was they, they 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 came out with a new book like two years later with expert rules which changed the rules mm. you know just enough that you couldn't really use the old stuff you had to buy the new <sighs> one and no, then they sense. and then they released a new basic uh, core rule book like another two years later which also changed uh, enough that you couldn't really use the old stuff. So I was just like, oh, how fuck. frustrating. Just yeah. fuck this shit. I'm going back to the 91 <laughs> version when my home was. And then the retro <laughs> version, again, back to, to Elric. That and is that in... a reprint of second edition, effectively? No, or third, or... that's what they said when they kickstarted it. And that's why people right. are a bit annoyed because they don't feel like it is. They it feel wasn't... like it's a, it's a new mm. game. So, as I said, oh. it's not a bad game. It's a good game. The problem was communication. They should have been like more open with, we're going to do our version of Draco de Monde. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's the, that they used the Elric. And then, of course, we have the new one. That's yeah. one. With, again, with the like Elric homage. Mm. <laughs> yeah, cool. There's, there's a few um, white haired dragon riders I've spotted in. in in some of the illustrations i think i think you've sent us one as well actually as well for for windhaven yeah um, we have a windhaven companion cover which is also a, a, a like, like a slightly less uh, subtle elric homage than Ege Kranz's. i in fact let's should we, should we just show that let's just stick yeah, it over you there we go yeah um <laughs> which is great yeah yeah elrica yeah yep <laughs> But with an axe as well, which is good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's a me. You know, one of the cultures the from the from the from Windheim. So, and they that's their cultural weapon of choice. Mm -hmm. So, so of course, one of the big things that uh, Freelig announced when they took over the thing is that this was going to be a very open license mm -hmm. uh, to almost to everybody in Sweden who feels a sense of ownership over mm -hmm. the worlds of Draka mm -hmm. Octomona that mm -hmm. you can publish it, you know, yeah, for free exactly. with, you yeah. know, very, yeah. very liberal yeah. licensing stuff, which you've obviously yeah. taken advantage of, well, not taken advantage of, but taken mm -hmm. the opportunity uh, mm -hmm. to do that with Windhaim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, because like oh, oh, the tradition has always been a lot of homebrew worlds. Like it took mm -hmm. a while for, for the first versions to even get a, a world setting. Uh, called Erebaltor, which is the, like basically the only setting for, for except for Trudvang, which are like the, the, the two big main settings, Kronopia mm. as well, but it was so tied to that, you know, version. But yeah, Erebaltor and Trudvang are two, the, the two main like official world settings, but so many people played in homebrew worlds. So I think it was a good thing to do an open game license and not, and just go with the Mr. Vale and not, you know, have this, huge uh, epic uh, world um, because many people will play in their own homebrew worlds anyway. 
So this brings us to the Kickstarter. Let's talk about uh, the Kickstarter in a while, but let's talk about Windhaim now. In Earlier on in this episode that this interview will be in, Dave corrected my pronunciation once more, yet again. Yeah, because I was calling it Windheim, which is how it's pronounced. And that Dave said, no, I've been listening to the video on, on the Kickstarter. And it's Windheim. Mm. Tell me about your strange Swedish vowels, first of all. What is Windheim? <laughs> what does it mean in English? Well, the home of the wind, basically. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, I when I created it, I called it um, with a simple V and mm -hmm. without the I. So it was Windham. Uh, right. Uh, but then uh, when I realized I wanted to do an English version, Windham was the obvious choice, you know, the obvious mm. translation to tie into the, you know, old, old Norse, old, old Scandinavian, you know, Viking way of, of saying feel. things. Yeah. yeah. Feel of it. Yeah. To connect it to to Sweden, and because also, I mean, it's good to Swedish RPGs and RPG creators have such a great reputation abroad. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, also choosing Nordic Skulls as the name of the, the publisher and company, uh, trying to you know, uh, yeah, take opportunity and not advantage <laughs> as you say, <laughs> of you know the good reputation that Swedes have abroad in the RPG business. Uh, just you know tying into that as, as much as possible. Brilliant. So neither Dave nor I, as far as I'm aware, Dave, we haven't backed the Kickstarter yet. So this is your opportunity now to tell us why we should be backing the Kickstarter. <laughs> I, I just so you know, it wouldn't be the first time that I've backed the Kickstarter <laughs> during a show when <laughs> I've really had it sold to me. So. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Yeah. So, no, no challenge Dra here. Dragonbane yeah. is probably the best edition uh, to date of 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 Drake of the Mourner, in my opinion. It's taken in influences from other free league games, you know, with the heroic abilities being similar to talents and willpower points, mm. and some stuff that doesn't really come from Dungeons and Dragons, but most people recognize it from Dungeons and Dragons, like the death rolls or death saves. And uh, and some you know short and long rest and stuff like that or st stretch and shift rests in Dragon Maid. So it's a great game, and the adventures that come with it are also great. But if you want a bigger world than the Misty Vale, a <laughs> world where you where you can spend you know months and months and years exploring, with an epic campaign to change the world, uh, Windheim is 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 the one you want to go for. If you and also. If you want, uh, the adventures are not all dungeon crawls, but a lot of them are, or like uh, tweaks of dungeon crawls and a lot of, you know, monster encounters. In Windheim, you will have a lot more social interaction. You will have political intrigue. You will have deception and murders to solve. And you will have, um, yeah, uh, like political conflicts on a grander scale. Uh, with the two dwarven realms who are at war with each other um, from each of their great mountain ranges and their allies, uh, you know, comes into this, the Bastionites and the Mule and the Elandines. Mm -hmm. and, and Horn of the Dawn is a campaign that I wrote for like a few years back. Windheim is, has been in creation for, like I said, like 20 years. Mm -hmm. So it's very well made, in my opinion, like it has a lot of depth, both when it comes to history, when it comes to the cultures. 
And uh, Horn of the Dawn is, I have GM'd it, like part one, I've GM'd three times. And every single time the groups I've GM'd has said that it's been one of their greatest RPG experiences mm. uh, as of yet. Uh, due to the, you know, the, the many different sides to it. You have a dungeon in it, yes. You have political intrigue, you have murders, you have uh, wilderness exploration, like I, I try to bring all, it all into one pot, so you can, as a GM or a player, you can focus on, you can put a bit more emphasis on, you know, monster encounters if you want that. There are a lot of monsters in it, but if you want to, you can put a lot of focus on social interactions and political intrigue. And um, as to why you should back it, I mean, the Thimsu Treasury reward tier is piling up with stuff. <laughs> not only do you get not only do you get a world setting book, which mm-hmm. I we said was going to be eighty pages, it will be over a hundred for sure with all the stretch goals uh, that we reached, probably mm-hmm. up to maybe one hundred and ten. You'll get part one of the Horn of the Dawn, but apart from that, uh, which will also be around hundred pages, and apart from that, you'll get a custom die set by Lindorm Dice. You will mm-hmm. get Sina six. Uh, let's see now six or seven maps with maps, different maps on both sides. You'll get uh, four or six battle maps, which you can use for any RPG. And you will get uh, three tavern maps or four, three or four tavern maps, Mm -hmm. uh, which you can use also for any fantasy RPG, not just Dragon Bane. And you'll Mm -hmm. get uh, town and village maps again, which you can use Mm -hmm. to any fantasy RPG, (laughs) not just Dragon Bane. So you'll get cool. a lot for, for the money. And you'll get a soundtrack by myself. Uh, uh-huh. I'm doing the official soundtrack for Dragon Bane, the game. Mm. And one of the stretch goals was a, a soundtrack for Windheim. And I will, another stretch goal was to expand it by four songs. It's going to be a, a big soundtrack, full soundtrack for Windheim. So, so I've listened to that. some of those already because you've sent, yeah, sent a little yeah. preview and there's some great songs there. Mm-hmm. I think what we'll try and do is close out this interview and indeed the whole podcast. It won't be live uh, to our live listeners and watchers. It won't be, it won't be on here, uh, but on the podcast, we'll, we'll, mm. we'll, we'll finish with a song that in Swedish is something like the song or the ballad of Drakkar Ochtumana, um, what what does it actually? How, how does that title actually translate? It translates basically to the the Drakkar och the Moner saga. Ah, yeah, mm, right. you know, cool. or yeah, exactly. Saga has a, a slightly more you know fairy tale ring to it in Swedish than mm. in in English. Saga is more epic and more you know old mm. Icelandic. Yeah, yeah. In Swedish, it it's more like Lord of the Rings was translated to Sagan om Ringen. The saga of the ring, what was the first part, then the saga of the two towers, and then the saga of the return of the king. (laughs) So saga is also tied into, uh, tied into, um, into, you know, old Tolkien history in Sweden. Mm -hmm. I also have to say one thing about selling the, selling the, uh, my two collaborators, Christian Lindqvist, who is the one doing the maps, the, the maps are just stunning and amazing. And Robert Alm, who was actually one of the illustrators in the 90s doing the illustrations. And the illustrations are also like, you know, in my opinion, like just top tier RPG Mm. illustrations. So um, 
I, have, I don't know whether we've convinced Dave yet, um, but uh, you talk a lot about the the physical, um, the, you know, the maps and and you know and the ephemera that you can play with any game. And I'm thinking, mm. Dave, we could play them with Forbidden Lands. We, <laughs> we could you see, yeah. we could use it with that. So, so Leon, you, you you GM the Forbidden Lands, so 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 that's you backing it then. <laughs> so fine. yeah, I, I think I'm I think I'm having to commit to it. Um, and is there a level? And I'm not saying I, this is level to which I will ban. But did I see a level that's that is just the ephemera, just the the physical things, and not the actual setting book? Or no, what what we have is like we have a you know um, uh, fifty pence fifty pence backer level where you can get like if you just want one add-on, you know, it's like I love the dice, I just want the dice, so you can back mm -hmm. us by you know, half, uh, half a pound, half a euro, half a dollar. Yeah. And, you know, just get one map. And then add on and the, then the add things on. you want. Yeah. And then, oh, we okay, the digital, cool. and then we have the digital reward too. You get every, everything. You get all the maps, everything as a PDF, uh, both books. You get the soundtrack. Uh, and that's about 15 quid, uh, like 17 mm. euro or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then we have, um, what would that be? Maybe, I don't know, maybe... 33, 34 pounds, maybe, yeah, 35, 36 euros or something like that for just both the books. And mm -hmm. if you want to ha just have the books and a single or two add-ons, that's what we want to go with. But for um, maybe, a, like, it will be 82 quid or something like that, maybe, or um, pounds, euros, dollars. Yeah. Uh, you get everything we produce. You get the die sets. You get all the maps. You get the, the both books. You get uh, <laughs> soundtrack, dice, uh, battle maps. Just everything, everything. And the only mm. other reward tips we have is for you know retailers. Uh, we have retailer backer level and a um, a one that where you can co-create an NPC which will be in the books, but that's already sold out. So we right. price that too low, obviously. <laughs> Damn. Damn. <laughs> um, now, uh, let's talk about some of the creative team behind it. You've said this is this is your homebrew campaign from 20 years ago, that mm -hmm. started mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Um, and I've got a great question from our viewer, Emily, which we'll touch upon shortly. But mm -hmm. uh, you've also involved loads of other people. We talked a bit about the art. Um, Tell me a bit more about the team behind it. Um, mm. I can show you a map as well while, we, mm. while you're talking. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the map work that we've seen in the art is, as you say, Andreas, it is top-notch stuff. It is really mm. good quality. Thanks. Yeah. Really good. Uh, do you want to start with the maps or the illustrations? Yeah, let's bring that map up now. So yeah. uh, this that's is on Foam's PDF. Vale. So, yeah. yeah. That's, that's Foamsvale. That's the major town of the Bastionites, the, the human-slash-halfling culture that rules the world basically they are the roman empire of of this world and and, 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 and in and in windheim have they recently come to the island like 200 years ago so they, they right. properly colonized all of the open spaces they haven't been able to take any of the mountain regions there's a, a troll woods with a lot of trolls in it they haven't been able to take that yeah. but like all 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 the plains and all hilly country they they've colonized yeah, and in the in the hills live uh, an indigenous uh, culture to the uh, to the island of like a hunter gatherer culture that were allied with the Bastionites against the evil dwarves to the south. 
But then as the evil dwarves to the south were defeated and are now like effectively besieged in their southern mountains, the Bastionites have started to tax them heavily. So they have <laughs> begun to rebel. So it's it's not all black and white. There's a lot of you know, yeah. political conflicts and structures to, to delve into. But this town, well, I guess, is where a lot of that intrigue and murder that you mentioned earlier on goes on in, is it? Is, it it could there... be, it could be. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. basically the only, you know, fair-sized town on Windhain. We have a lot of, like, larger villages uh, with maps for them, but this is the only, like, town uh, where there's humans. I mean, of course, the dwarves have giant underground towns of their own, uh, but that will come in more in part two of Horn of the Dawn. And did you, uh, so did you use just one cartographer for all your mapping? Uh, or? Yes, Christian, Christian Lindqvist has done all our, he's doing all our maps and he's also doing uh, all of the graphic design and layout. Ah, that's brilliant. So Let's doing... carry on, carry on talking. So he's, he's mm -hmm. doing both of, both of those uh, things. Um, and he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's an architect, so he knows, he knows his way around, you know, building towns mm. and buildings and stuff like that so it's and he yeah. he's just a pleasure to work with like we he he sent me a suggestion of a map and i was like i was thinking more this and this and this and then you know half an hour i get you know uh another map back and everything's changed just the way i wanted it <laughs> or just the way i envisioned it so and he also comes up with great like for the big windhay map he added a lot of stuff that i haven't that i did not have on my incarnate crappy map mm. that i gave him for reference and i was <laughs> like what's this what's this uh, what, what this forking of the of the rivers here what's that and he's like i don't know what is it and i was like yeah. maybe there's you maybe know, it could be this <laughs> yeah so he's he's, yeah. he's giving me a lot of stuff to work with and a lot of you know stuff for me to get inspired by and and to add mm -hmm. more more lore and more more cool places to win now, um, people watching us uh, on the YouTube will will have this teasing glimpse of something behind us. Let's uh, let's show them what that is. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's a great full. picture. That is this yeah. marvelous picture of a yeah. dragon on top of a citadel yeah. of some sort. Uh, first of all, who's the artist for this? This is Robert Alm. He actually did some illustrations way back in 1990 for the Magic Box uh, for mm. Old Rocker the Mourner. And uh, yeah, he's been illustrating stuff uh, ever since. And uh, I got to know him uh, actually during a board game weekend <laughs> out in the countryside outside of Stockholm, where we uh, drink a lot of beers and play a lot of board games. And we shared a cabin and, you know, just a friendship evolved. And that was six years ago, perhaps, something like that. And I've been talking about doing RPG books with him ever since. And now, now it's, now it's, Coming true, so it's 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 very fun. No, it's, it's it's great. He's doing a lot of, yeah, amazing illustrations. He just sends us things sometimes, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is gorgeous. How do I get this into the lore of the world? <laughs> so did he also do Elrica with the axe? Is that one yep, of his? Yep, yep, yep. absolutely. Uh, has he done all the illustration? Or... Yeah, all the illustrations are by him. Yes, brilliant. I'm yeah, exactly. Mm. Brilliant. That's all all looking good. Um. Mm. But I guess you're the main creative force behind it. And I do have a question here from uh, um, uh, from Emily. There we go. Just found it again. And she it's a good question. So I think it deserves a bit mm -hmm. of an outing here. <laughs> what has been your worst, your biggest or your most notorious kill your darlings moment as you've taken this from your yeah. 
your very own campaign into something that you can mm. share with all the rest of the world? Yeah, it's 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 an easy question for me because it's very obvious. Uh, the main like, like the big culture of the world, as I said, are the Bastionites who basically rule the world, uh, and they are called Bastionites because of their bastion, which is. Uh, the central structure of their capital. Um, so that's the, the bastion is why they evolved as a culture, why they came out on top on a, during Great War a thousand years ago. Uh, so they call themselves bastionites because they identify out of that. So, you know, bastion is a great word. I'm very glad I found it because originally it was called uh, a, a borg, uh, which is a burg in, in English, right? Mm -hmm. And it was their home. So they were called... Hamborgare in Swedish. It, it sounds <laughs> fine. But if you're going to do uh, the English version of that, it's going to be hamburgers. Yeah. And <laughs> that, just, that just doesn't work, you know. Sponsored well, you know what? <laughs> I think there's another writer from Sweden who would probably have relished having a name like that because yeah. aren't, aren't the Rust brothers the, 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 the Toast brothers or something in there? Mm -hmm. or, or, yeah. or breakfast toast all of that but, yeah, um, no, but you can't you can't call it the main culture hamburgers it just doesn't no, like no, it's not gonna work I, is it in my my first english place play testing of it we renamed them hamfurters like it was a, <laughs> because of fort you know hamburgers. uh but that doesn't that sounds even it worse. Doesn't ring, it doesn't ring well it just no. doesn't ring well so i was like okay i need a new i, I just can't do fort i can't do borg what can i do and i just started you know syn synonym googling and then bastion mm. came up and i was like bastion is a cool name it's a cool name for 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 the for the fort for the borg for the castle mm. it's also a cool name for so then i was like okay what do we the call culture. the culture yeah, yeah. Bast bastionians bastionites best yeah mm. so yeah. google magnus that's the answer for where andreas <laughs> thinks of his names <laughs> It is no, true. But, Uncle Google is is um, is yeah. a great help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but the, the 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 thing with the Hamburgers or the the Bastionites, <laughs> their their naming um, uh, tradition for for towns and and places, is is a very straightforward one. Like Foamsvale, it's a vale where the water foams, so we call it mm. Foamsvale. Mm. We have a village on a plain. We call it Plainsvale. We have we have a village uh, where the veil ends. Okay, so we call it Vale's End. Uh, they they're very much into that. Very uh, literal. Yeah. Very yeah. They're very literal. And for dwarves, you just want as many consonants as possible. Preferably a lot of K's and H in in, in you know combination. So it's uh, yeah. Try to do it complicated and of course uh, basing it off the the few dwarven names we know from talking. Brilliant. Um, I'm going to ask this question as well um, from uh, uh, your friend and mine, Dave, uh, Andy. Um, it's always an important one. There's a lot of fantasy settings out there. We've talked mm -hmm. about the murder. We've mm -hmm. talked about the the intrigue. But I think I can point to fantasy settings with, with murder and intrigue mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, sure. is there anything else that makes Windhame and the Horn of the Dawn 
Dawn of the Horn. I can't remember which way it is. Um, Horn of the Dawn. Horn I, of the Dawn. I, I recently, I, I mean, of course, <laughs> Annalie, who's very dirty-minded in Sweden Rolls, like she heard Horn of the Dawn, she started giggling instantly. Uh, We've I already done thought, that earlier on the I show. Just, I just yeah. thought it was her dirty mind. But then Martin Allen, I don't know if he's a friend of your podcast as well. He's been a, one of our first patrons ever uh, over at Sweden Rolls and one of our longest and one of our dear mm. friends. Uh, but he pointed out to me that in Britain, uh, Dawnhorn is actually the word for, for yeah, moron stone. Uh, we've got lots of words uh, for that. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, but obviously, it, this, yeah. this, it, it's not a thing in the, in, in the US um, because none of the US people have reacted to it whatsoever. No. Uh, only It's only UK people who has been like... <laughs> <laughs> but just anyway, a smutty mind that's what it is uh, you know if there's a if there's a proper word for it and i accidentally named my campaign very adjacent to it it's like it's my my bad but yes i actually have a a, a thursday series on sweden rolls where i talk a bit about world building and i i base many, much of it on windhame and and i i talked like i think the first episode was on usp unique selling point like mm. what's what's the thing and um when I started creating it, I thought I was very, uh, very, very creative in thinking that, oh, what if the gods got their power from their worshippers? And what if the more you worship, the more power to the gods? Isn't that cool? And then I realized that's a very common way to, to, do, uh, <laughs> to, do, uh, to do it. Um, mm. But then I, I, um, as I realized that this, there was going to be an o o OGL for Dragonbane, I started thinking of, okay, should I maybe put out Windheim as, as a third-party Dragonbane supplement? And then I read this uh, meta plot about dragons and demons. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so how do I implement that in, in on Windheim? And then I, I just started, you know, going wild. So... <laughs> You're going to get some ancient lore here. Uh, not all players are maybe supposed to know this, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's mostly GM spoilers. Issues. Spoiler yeah, alert! Spoiler <laughs> alert! So in the beginning, there were dragons and demons, and in the clash between the greatest demon with the greatest dragon, there was a great outpouring of magic, and that magic created the gods, the original gods. And the original gods want to protect themselves from the dragons and the demons, so they created Eshvara, a sphere to lock the dragons and demons out. So Windhaim is a sphere, but it's the inside of a hollow sphere. It's not mm -hmm. on the outside of a sphere. Now I heard from Dante, Don Alistrand, that there is actually a D&D setting uh, that does this. But apart from that, I think it's actually I, 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 a lot more unique than, you know, gods getting their power from worship, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it's the inside of a sphere where the gods have locked themselves and their creations in from the dragons and the demons. Mm -hmm. But of course, the dragons and demons, they want to try and get in into this world <laughs> to get to, to the good stuff, of course. So that's um, that's uh, that's something I think is. And as I said in my in my Thursday episode of, of the USP, like you're never going to find anything that's unique. Like if you think you're going to come up with something that's unique, you're just fooling yourself. What you need is a combination of cool stuff that, when you combine them, create something that is maybe a fresh take, or if, like if you're lucky, a fresh take, or at least interesting for people to go into and start, you know, exploring. 
This is yeah. brilliant. This this whole episode is coming together really well, Dave, because didn't we discuss this on Monday on Sunday morning, which is gonna flow into this one. It's, it's almost sound perfect. Like it was all perfectly planned. It's like it was you know, planned yeah. from the beginning. No, no, I'm curious. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> oh, we, were just, we were just saying exactly that same thing, that there's 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 hardly anything new in the world and you've got to recombine it and recombine it. And yeah, it. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's for sure. But um Something you just you just threw away there, which I I wasn't aware of, is that this dragon versus demon uh, meta plot of Draca Octimana is new to this edition. Is, yeah, it is. is yeah, yeah, one? yeah. In the previous, Ooh. like when they named it, they just wanted an alliterated uh, mm. name that kind of sounded like Dungeons and Dragons, but they knew that they could, but they could far call enough it away not to be copyrighted. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So they just wanted to ride the Dungeons and Dragons wave and call it Draco of the Morning. Uh, mm. That was just a cool name. There was mm. nothing behind that, no meta plot. So the meta plot has come with this edition. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. <laughs> okay, well, we are out of time. Um, it's been really great talking to you, Andreas, as usual. Uh, we will put that. some links uh, in the show notes to um, to the Kickstarter. But everybody, get to Kickstarter and just search uh, Windhame um, now. And, and if you're listening live and, and back mm. it, I know I will. I think Dave probably won't looking at it. You haven't convinced him. But that, you know, <laughs> can't please no, no, everybody no, well, all the time, Andres. No, well, it's, it's, you know what it's like. You know, it's like, it's like uh, you know, being on the shore. You, you, you wash up a little bit and you get close to it and then you wash away and then you have to wash back <laughs> up to it again. Mm. Um, yeah. So, no, no, no. I, I, I think you know. It's going to be a unique, uh, you know, like a uh, uh, time to get that much stuff for for that little cash, because all of those stretch goals, the physical stretch goals, will be you know printed and just sent out. It's going to be, it's going to feel like Christmas getting them all. And, well, I, you know, and we do have like to Christmas for me, Andreas, because um, I say one of the stretch goals unlocked, and and you invited me to. To come on board and be one of your yeah. guest writers and yes, write, of course. Um, uh, a, a, a plot seed, a, a scenario hook for you mm -hmm. with yeah. a long list of other writers who I am honoured and delighted and a bit embarrassed about rubbing my shoulders with most of them. So yeah. um, we have some fabulous. amazing. So thank yeah. you. So and thank but you, you definitely that. belong on that list, hey man. It's you definitely belong on it. So it's been great pleasure. Thanks very much for your time, Andreas. Just one last thing we need to ask you. Mm -hmm. And that is, before you say goodbye, will you say, may the icons bless your adventures? Yes, of course. Of course I will. Coriolis is one of my, maybe my top uh, favorite RPG. I, will, I, I have an unofficial soundtrack that I hope will, I will get time to publish soon. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's a real pleasure. Thanks very much. And thank yes, you thank as you. well to everybody who joined us uh, for this impromptu stream. We'll hope to do some more streamings when I'm less busy. Goodbye. And Andreas. Det är en tid för hjältet åt, det digra tiden 
sen så ska vi se hur sagan söten vid bringar tiden med romstrid och sägnen som jag skallar den är grunnig och sin vista till svärten har svinnat till Sveriges skrivit och drakar och demoner och strider om vår värld en tid för hjältet ord dera tiden Presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.